Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Good morning, church. It it is um, it's always fun to watch what people do for communion and forgiving. And um, while Jimmy Buffett interrupting me wouldn't be that big big a problem, I don't think um, ringtones can be interesting. And I'll never forget the time that uh, many of ringtones have interrupted me through the years. I think my favorite was the Willie Nelson one, halfway through a sermon, Whiskey River, Take My Mind. That was, um, <clears throat> that was interesting. And we were all originally um, not as interested in why is this phone still on as we were in who has that as a ringtone. So it became a sinner hunt, which we shouldn't have done, frankly. Uh, but that, that said, um, if you haven't turned your phone off, this might be a good time for that. Uh, we're, we're on an adventure. That's what life is. It's not a mystery to be solved. It's not something to be sorted out. It's an, it's an adventure. Just hold on, see what happens. And when we talk about our safe harbor and understand that our safe harbor is Christ himself, we don't live in a sheltered port. We're in the storms too. The rocks are around us too. But our safe harbor is not a place, but a person. So we should pay attention to him. And Jesus told us to inventory what we had several times. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, he tells them twice in in a very short uh, series of instructions on how to go out to the people. He mentions twice, don't take anything with you. Loosen up. Let some things go. Do an inventory. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, pack light. You don't need everything the world says you need, but also things get in there. Now, it used to be, um, I don't, haven't used Windows for a long, long time, but Windows um, uh, software, I can remember using it for many years. And every so often, you would have to turn off your machine, then turn it back on, and then you'd have to do a defrag. And then you'd have to do an antivirus scan because of the clutter. Everything that passes through leaves a bit of clutter. Now, some of that is still true on whatever system you're using, but I'm more talking about our life. We tend to get cluttered. We, we, you know, Cammie and I were going through uh, yesterday one of our, our semi-annual, let's make sure we have no medications that are expired moving you know, through and that we can account for it, we can destroy this um, if you don't know, by the way, the pharmacist will help you, or there's a powder you can put in it, and a little bit of water. It's inert now, won't hurt the environment, and people can't use it to hurt themselves. So we're doing that. And it's amazing going, why do we have this? How long has this been here? It was not the medications. It was the other stuff we found. We need to do an inventory. God wants you to be successful. He knows there are dangers out there in the world. And he knows that some of those dangers resonate with our own heart. And we do what we want to do. As as you read, that's not a good idea sometimes. So 
God's marked some dangers. He's, he said, just be aware of the dangers. Now, I'm not, I don't want you to focus on dangers today. Neither do I want you to hear any of these as a condemnation of you. Because that's not what it is at all. Everybody sins. Everybody needs Jesus. Understood? Some of these sins that he marked will appeal particularly to you. And some of them will appeal particularly to me. And there'll be a mixed bag. That's the way that it always is. But whenever he marks them, he doesn't mark them so that you'll look at them. I don't know if you know this or not, but in, in soccer, uh, football, if you kick the ball on a penalty kick, the, um, the goalie is looking at your eyes because even the best trained guys will every so often, right before they connect, look at where they want the ball to go. But what they see is a goalie and it goes right to the goalie. It's like on a golf course. You stand up there on the tee and somebody goes, don't worry about the water. It's going in the water. Your focus is now shifted there. Uh, if I were to you know, lean over to my son before he went out on a date and said, just remember, don't lust. Well, unhelpful. That's very unhelpful. So we're going to name these things, but we're not going to focus on them. Next week, we're going to talk about what you focus on. These are the rocks. Just be aware that they're there. And which ones are dangerous to you personally? Because once again, sin is highly individualistic in that some sins will uh, appeal and others will not. Most people have heard of the, the phrase, the seven deadly sins, and they assume that that comes from a list somewhere in the Bible. While there are many lists of sins, like was read to you today, this particular list was put together about 150, 200 years after Christ's crucifixion, most likely in Egypt. And the idea behind it was there, there are some sins that are just sins, but other sins that when you commit them, they lead to another, and they lead to another. It's a crack in the foundation. If you've ever had a crack in the foundation, there's something that you know, and that is cracks in the foundation never spontaneously heal. It's never like, oh, it cracked. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's going to crack more. So that's more dangerous than a crack in the drywall, let's say. If you're in a boat and you have a leak, you don't think, well, you know, a whole lot of the boat is not leaking. So we've got that going for us. No, you've got an issue. You've got a problem. And if you don't watch this, it's going to, right now, it's just your feet are wet. But if you don't work on it, the boat goes down. So that's what a deadly sin is, a, a sin that pushes forward, sin that leads to other sins. I once did a whole talk to teens about how sins were like slave ships, that once they catch you, they pull you on board and they take you where you do not want to be. So be very, very careful. Be very, very aware Focus, check, inventory. All right, let's, let's give this a go. First one we're going to mention is lust. Already mentioned this morning uh, by Alan, by me. And that's, um, it's a shape-shifting monster is what it is. Because it can take the form of men or of women. Lust, however, never appears to you as a monster. It appears as something beautiful and sweet. And underline this in your head and interested in you and your needs. 
something, someone who, unlike those who know you, act like they adore you. And that they, it, it's rather like in Proverbs, uh, the woman that was looking for somebody and she goes, I've been waiting for you. And it's obvious in the context, she wasn't looking for him. She's looking for anybody. Well, sin will do that. It'll fool you into thinking it cares about you. It pulls alongside you. And before you know it, it's built a place for itself inside your heart and your head. And then the ropes is around you. Then you're pulled off path, pulled off course, and all these shipwrecks occur. There are many shipwrecks out there that started as pleasure cruises. Keep that in mind. And one of the hardest tasks for a human to learn is this. But if you learn this, you will be at peace. Want what you have. Like what you've got. That's a hard one. But once you do... The freedom is insane. It's fantastic. Like what you got. Want what you have already. We're created as sexual beings, and sex is an interesting and a wonderful part of life. We're surrounded with sex in nature. Uh, God has a valid interest in procreation and in us raising up believing children. But if the devil can get you to think more about the pleasure and, and you deriving meaning than the treasure more about the pleasure than the treasure, he'll bury you. He'll get you to look at other people as either competition or prey. You lose sight that they are children of God and that the people you are hurting are children of God. The devil wins, you lose. That starts small, but the crack gets bigger and the wreck occurs. Gluttony. Now, this one's mentioned a lot in Scripture, uh, a lot. It, it seems to be a real issue with humankind. It is a lot more than just not eating too much food, although that certainly is part of it. It's a warning about too much of anything, even good things. Do you like social media? You can get too much of it. I love it because it allows me to stay connected to you around the world, but it also allows me to read the news. It's entertainment. It's got music on it and all. Yes, but too much of it? What about movies? If you like them too much, dramas? Or how about just drama in your life? You like drama in your life. How about sleep? Do you like sleep too much? Proverbs warns a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, and then destruction falls upon you. Well, what about work? That's a struggle for me because I really like work. I don't go on vacations to get away from work. I go on vacations to change my view while I'm working. And if I don't watch out, that could be a problem. Never has been so far. I'm lying. <laughs> How about drink? All of these things, understand, Choices matter. The universe is not neutral. When you choose one of these things, all other options are unchosen. We stream our TV, and last night we watched a murder mystery from Finland. Yes, our life is exciting. <laughs> one of the reasons we like watching TV that's, uh, that's in other languages is because you have to turn off everything else and look at the screen. And guess what? The movies are better. Not because they're foreign, but because you're paying attention. It is all about what's, 
what's dangling in front of you that's filling up your life and hurting your life. Be careful. Do not settle for anything less than the treasure. Don't settle for food when you want comfort, meaning, and belonging. Don't settle for media when you want joy. Don't settle for sex when you want love and acceptance. Don't fill your life with empty things. A question I often used to ask back in my counseling days long ago. What are you really hungry for? It's probably not what you think. What are you really hungry for? Because what you're feeding it with right now is not satisfying the hunger. See, gluttony takes you off track. Your treasure's out there. It's waiting for you, but only for those that are focused on the treasure, not on, not on food and money and work and drink and all the, the other stuff. How about greed? The world is on sale and it wants you to be on sale too. It demands that you are a commodity, that you must come in, that you must purchase the product, that you must go along with whatever they say is valuable. The problem is we don't understand the value. We know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. We need to not confuse price and value. If you fall for what the world is trying to sell you, you will never be satisfied. You will always be buying. Oh, I've fallen for it in my life. I've realized too late, sometimes in time, but too late, that buying other golf clubs did not buy me a better game, which seems to go against the commercial's promises, but I'm not bitter. I fell for it. Buying me a better car didn't make me a better driver, and buying me a better guitar didn't make me a better guitar player. We have to learn not to fall for the lies, and yet we, we tend to. And I'm saying, notice it's all these collective pronouns going, I do it too. I hope I'm getting better at it. God has laid out for you beauty and treasures that cannot be bought. Happiness, joy, meaning, all of these things. Task of Christians, one of our biggest, hardest tasks, is to remember what and who the source of our joy and meaning is. And it's not in what we have or what we can get. You know, the old days, got to tell you something. The grandkids that are out there right now listening. Um, when your grandparents or great-grands tell you tales of simpler Christ Christmases where they had an orange in their stocking and they were happy, they're not lying. That's the thing. Because I heard those kind of stories when I was a kid. We had a stick and we loved it. We named it Bob. You know, I don't know. They, they went on and I loved Bob the stick. Took him to school, whatever. I didn't believe any of that. Because I believed the commercials. And I believed my friends. We need to, um, need to listen. That simple can be more fun. If you travel, you might know this. One of the most stunning things you'll find if you go to poorer areas, especially in countries that do not have television pumped at them all the time, or phones pumped at them. They're too poor or they're too scattered. You will come across people in mind-numbing poverty in Africa, Asia, some other places, and they're smiling. The smiles is what you never forget. 
I have never actually come out and said, why are you smiling? But inside, I've wondered. So I just watched. And I learned that they decided to make their own joy. If you had an empty plastic water bottle, that thing had 24 uses. And they were going to use it. We who are surrounded by beauty and bounty often miss it because we're convinced that somehow we deserve a life of continual contentment. And therefore, we are continually discontent. Doc Watson, we had uh, Robert Jaquist with us last week, a blind man, and he mentioned Doc Watson. Doc Watson was um, one of the best bluegrass guitar players that has ever lived. Blind from early uh, in his life, uh, born in, in poverty, he, uh, he, made, he made his own house. You know, he built things. He learned to, to adjust to his blindness. But when people heard him play, because they would actually just drop him off at the, at the town square for him to play and then pick him up at night. When people heard him play, uh, the Lomaxes, if you remember, know anything about American history and, and music and how they put it together, they heard him and recorded him. He became super famous. He played Carnegie Hall, I think, several times. And he was always just Doc Watson. But his son would take him around. And his son was also quite the guitarist. And they were in an apartment in New York with some really big name people. And one of the people there said, listen, I, I'd really like to play better. But right now, I'm stuck with this cheap guitar. And it just, it's hard to play. I don't like it. And one of these days, I'm going to get a Martin guitar like yours. And Doc said, can I see your guitar? And you know where this is going. They handed it over. He made it sound like bells ringing. And he just quietly handed it back and said, it's not the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I think of that a lot. Willie Nelson, I'll mention him again. Where else can you go to get that kind of content? Willie Nelson's guitar looks like he drug it behind the car all the way from Nashville to Austin. But he will not get rid of it. That's his guitar, singular makes it work there are some notes and some tones his guitar can't make anymore and if you've ever read the story of his guitar because the guy that he has a full-time guy just trying to keep it alive and he'll say could you just let me replace no he'll find another place to get the tone or he'll do without it wow but our enemy is using the same ad uh, same line he used on adam and eve that did, is God holding out on you? You need something more. You need another thing. And yet, we all, I think, can admit that we don't enjoy movies as much now that we're distracted by our phones, or we don't see the beauty in the world that our grandparents did. You know why? They had to walk, I know, seven miles uphill both ways in the snow while they were milking a cow. But they had time to know the names of the trees. They had time to differentiate the different birds. We zip past them at five miles over the speed limit. You see, greed makes us blind and numb to the pleasures that are already there. And then sloth. Sloth is more than laziness, although that certainly qualifies as sloth. In the early centuries of the faith, when this term was chosen to represent a deadly sin, sloth meant a lack of movement because of a lack of hope. 
That was the definition. I want to say that again. To early Christians, sloth was a lack of movement due to a lack of hope. Here's a rule of the universe. If you don't look for treasure, you won't find it. If you don't start your journey, you won't arrive. Negativity leads to sloth. Negativity grinds like sand in the gears. And it grinds you down to where you don't move anymore. Neg uh, sloth in the early church is also the refusal to worship God. Refusal to accept whatever gifts God gives you. Because you have this attitude. I would serve God if he had given me these gifts. I would do so much better for God if I could do this. Or I wasn't married to this person. Or I didn't have to spend so much. That's what sloth is. It is the distraction that causes inaction. Sloth can happen when we even listen to others tell us that there's no hope, no chance, no reason to try. Well, you know, have you ever met a room... I met, I met a person, rather, that could brighten a room just by leaving it. Don't be that person. Don't be that. There's no need for that. Be the person who, when found falling off of a 120-story building, was asked by somebody through a window on 20th floor, how's it going, that you respond, good so far. We all know life's tough, but the negativity doesn't help. Being positive requires decision. Being positive is not a natural to me. It is something I work on every single day. Because I need to be positive or I will stop. And that's what sloth meant to the early Christians. Not just sitting around eating chips. How about wrath? Frankly... The world is full of terrible things and injustice are, is everywhere. There are a thousand things out there that are ready to anger you, to rub you the wrong way, to irritate you and ruin your day if you let them. We even now have Twitter and all other places to go and exercise your wrath and be actually uh, commended for it. But wrath is a dangerous, deadly sin. And there are things out there that seem to be designed to ruin your day, like customer service, that can leave you in voice menu hell, all while telling you repeatedly how important you are to them. It's enough to make you wrathful. If we, if they were, if we were important to them, they would probably have a human there. Or, or, Better hold music. But here's one of the most dangerous things about wrath. Wrath can masquerade as the will of God. And often does. Righteous anger is almost never righteous. It just is never. Constructive criticism rarely constructs. No matter, I, and I know right now people are going, I think of an exception. You go right ahead. Maybe it is one. Because there are some, but... You know, God, God did place within us the ability to know that something is wrong and something should be done about it. But as soon as the devil realizes that we realize that, he'll offer to you a variety of ways to respond and all of them are deadly. Jesus' way of solving things with love seems countercultural 
and counterintuitive. But it works. Here's another trick that the devil does. Watch for this one. He will take a situation that you see this is unjust. And then he will make you lose yourself in them to where you, once again, no movement. Um, story told by a very famous therapist. And he, I was reading his book years ago. And I've not asked permission to use his name. Uh, but one of, he, he was using this illustration. A man had come in and was very upset. And he said, you know, we've been counseling for a while. What's wrong today? And the man says, I walked past a homeless guy. And he was sick and on a cold, cold sidewalk. And it re- made me realize how close I am to being homeless. And how close I am to being... And he kept going on and on. And we finally took a pause. The therapist said, what about the homeless guy? Did you give him anything? Well, no. You saw that and you thought about yourself. We can do that with so many other things. But if you fall for it, the injustice is never dealt with. It'll continue forever and more and more of us will fall victim to the devil's lies. One, one early Christian, James, the brother of Jesus, had something to say about this. It was the simplest way to diffuse our wrath. He said, remember, it doesn't work. Read the book of James. Got to tell you, Jay Adams once said back in the 80s, I think going to James is like going to the cosmic dentist. You know, you have to, but it's going to hurt. And one of the things he says is, you know, have you noticed that your arguing hasn't changed a thing? Maybe that's not the way to do it. Righteous action needs to be done, but it needs to be done calmly and in love. That works. Wrath doesn't. Murmuring doesn't. In fact, that's what amazes me in the Old Testament. I, I really don't understand where God's hierarchy always goes, frankly, and, and why he all of a sudden goes, no, not doing that. Because in the Old Testament, you can find a ton of sins. But you know the one that got him going angry and got the most response from him? Read it. The Old Testament's available. Complaining and murmuring. That one, he just wouldn't take. So you might want to think about that. I, I, I catch myself a lot complaining and murmuring in my head and then going, oh boy, that's not the attitude. I've broken my ship. I've ruined the journey. Well, how about envy? If I may just ask you to please live in your own skin and don't desire what the other people have. Live in your own skin. Read Psalm 139. Do that this week. It'll be brilliant for you. Read 139. That'll tell you the truth. That you as an individual, looking like you do, you know, you were God designed your nose, your ears, your knees and such. Your hair kind of, but your hair now, what you've done to it is just, he didn't do that. But he, he, he designed all the rest of it. And that you are perfectly made for the journey he has laid out for you. I didn't get the body I wanted at all. I don't know if you can tell because they're on camera here, but Dan and Julie are um, insanely tall people. Just, there's, there's no need for that. Um, and, and I, you know, a very normally uh, sized 5'9 uh, perfection. Um, and it's just, he said something, but it went right over me. Um, live in your own skin. Envy is a waste of time. Every person you've ever envied has problems. Everyone. 
So many philosopher's stories are that you, a person goes and they, they lay their burdens down and they trade them with somebody else and then they come back and get their old ones back. You know, there are many long stories. They all come back to that. You don't know what pain is in the eyes of the person you're talking to. The person you're envying, you have no idea. There are many stories like that, but you get it. Let's move on to the last one. Pride. Here's the problem with pride. You ever tried? Have you ever tried walking with your nose up? No wonder the Bible says pride goes before fall. C.S. Lewis said it's hard to help people up when you're looking down on them. Yeah, I'm pride. You're not going to be able to see the rocks. You won't see your brother who needs a hand up. You see, distraction's an issue, as you put it, but pride's another. Anything you have, anything you have, every beauty, every talent, all your means, was a gift from the hand of God. I mean, the people who host this church, because this is in their house, I've never met anybody like you guys, ever. Sometimes we have to come in and record early, where we have to come in and do stuff. We walk into people's houses. We walk, there's not a direct door into the sound stage. Well, there is, but there's, it's, it's mucky out there, muddy. And so we come in the front door, walk right through their living room, right, right, right through their kitchen. And when, every time I apologize, they'll say, it's God's house. It's God's house. Wow. They've taken what they have, handed it to God. Do that with your talent, your beauty, your means, whatever money you've got, whatever it is. It's all a gift from hand of God. You might think, no, it isn't. I worked hard for it. <laughs> Let's go back to the Old Testament. God told the Israelites, see the land of Canaan before you? I give you all of the land of Canaan. And they had to fight for every inch of it. Sometimes several times, but he helped them win. So yeah, you got it and you worked hard for it. Who do you think gave you the talent for that? Quick story. I think I've already run out my time. Or No, I've got, I've got more time. Either he's adding more time to the clock or I'm talking too fast. My wife says I'm talking too fast. But I really, see, here's the thing. When I'm done talking, I'm done working. So, you know, any, at the end of sermon is my Friday. How's that? Um, I, I worked as an operating room technician for, I don't really remember. I think it was a year, maybe two. And if you don't know what those are, those are the, People that go in and um, they're scrubbed in and they lay out all the instruments and everything that is going to be needed for that particular operation. It's not a degree job. It's something which a high school graduate with some training could do. And that's what I was because I was going to university uh, and this allowed me to help survive during that time. And it was an amazing job. This particular hospital would have the OR techs go before uh, the surgery up to the room and talk to the parents and the children. It was a children's hospital. Talk to them about everything they were going to experience and then place them on the gurney and then take the person down. So the operating room person did that. Nurses were in the recovery room, so we didn't get to be there when they woke up. Well, I went up once and looked down at the, the chart and the young man was almost exactly my age. And I thought, okay, cool walked into the room, and he was bent and twisted, and there were spasms. He had cerebral palsy, and there are many different levels of that, and this was a really bad one. His mother was sitting there quietly, 
So I explained the surgery. And as I was talking to her, she said, you can tell him. Well, I'm not proud of this. I hadn't thought he could hear me or care. I didn't know. So I, I said, can he understand me? And she puffed up a little bit, which she had the right to do. And she said, young man, he's as intelligent as you are. He's just not as capable. That broke me. My pride, my arrogance, I had assumed, was normal. I actually brought him down and then handed him off to another OR tech. And I called a couple minister people I knew because I was, I was confused. And I said, all right, why him and not me? You know, God seems to be playing dice here. Why him and not me? And one preacher, I guess he was pressed for time. He said, hold out your hand. Kids, you couldn't see each other. This was a phone without video. These were dark times. I held out my hand. And he said, you got it? I said, yes. He says, is it open? I said, yes. He said, close it. And I did. He said, now open it. And I did. And I'm thinking, called the wrong guy. And I said, he said, did you do that? And I said, yeah. He said, did that young man have the ability to do that? And I said, no. He says, if you got the ability, use it. And he hung up. In other words, Patrick, it's not about you. If you got the gift, it's about God. Go to work. I've never forgotten that. Look down on no one because all the people there are made by God and loved by God. And if we feel superior to people God loves, well, that seems to be a dangerous place. A deadly place. Life isn't all about steering away from the rocks, though. But we do need to know where the rocks are, don't you? And so... Seven deadly sins, the list is valuable. And I hope that this has helped us at least see that these little sins can sometimes sink the boat if you let them go. Next week is much more favorite kind of sermon of mine, the things we look to. Because sometime after they compiled the seven deadly sins, the church decided, oh, we better do the good side too. And they put together the seven Christian virtues. We're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. But until that time, please remember, the safe harbor is a person, Jesus the Christ. Never do or say anything that's going to direct your ship away from him. Ask yourself, when the thoughts come in your mind, is this a Jesus response or is this earthly? If you are like me, and I have no idea if you are. If you are like me, there are many times where you're going to have to say, no, that wasn't a Jesus response. I need to pull back. I need to do an inventory. I need to lay some things down. And I need to go to work. Let's work on, on that together this week. All right?